Welcome to Greater Possibilities Podcast from Invesco, where we put concerns into context and opportunities into focus. I'm Brian Levitt. And I'm Jody Phillips. We're talking about the debt ceiling today. Jen Flitton is here. Yes, I know. Favorite topic, right? So Jen is Invesco's head of U.S. government affairs, and she's going to shed some light on the negotiations happening in D.C. and let us know where she thinks this is all heading. And since she's here, we'll also ask for her thoughts on the national political mood and how things might be shaping up for 2024. I know you always like to get a sneak peek in, into that, Brian. So it feels you know, too soon. It feels a little too soon, but yeah. in any case, are you ready to, for another debt ceiling crisis? <laughs> Am I ready? For, I feel like I'm. I may already be living it. Although hopefully we're getting uh, some slightly positive news here. You, you know, Jody, life is strange when you're constantly refreshing your screen to see how high the one-month U.S. Treasury yield is going. That that's where I am in life right now. <laughs> no, I hear you. I mean, if if you don't know if you'll be paid the income on it, it makes sense to keep an eye on it. So, look, I mean, with that question, Brian, what are you saying to investors who have that same question? I'm trying to be optimistic. I mean, look, we've we've done this 86 times since John Kennedy was president. Gosh, we, we usually yeah, we usually do it without inc incident, usually a mere formality. Mm -hmm. And and so I think we'll raise the debt ceiling. You know, it, I keep coming back to that line about what Churchill was said to have said about Americans. We always do the right thing, but only after exhausting all other options. I think I've heard you say that in a podcaster. 10. Yeah, exactly. I, I probably need some some new material here. No, but no, you know, we keep stick with the classics. <laughs> I mean, we keep repeating over and over. So I keep coming back to it. But you know, another favorite of mine is that market volatility doesn't emerge out of nowhere. Um, it's always the result of policy uncertainty. And so that's what we're looking at here, perhaps. Well, we are, but you know, it's a little ironic, right? Just when we get maybe some clarity or close to clarity on monetary policy. Now we get uncertainty about fiscal policy. Yeah, and hopefully short-lived. And then the good news is we do have a historical parallel to consider. If you remember 2011, you had a very short-lived risk-off trade. And I still think it's ironic. Treasuries rallied, right? That, you know, something's going to potentially default. Let's buy the thing that's going to potentially default. So Treasuries rallied. And ultimately, it created a buying opportunity for investors in a, you know, early stages of a new cycle. Well, on that note, let's bring in Jen to help explain what's going on in the here and now. Welcome, Jen. Hey, Jen. Hi, guys. Hey, hey, Jen. Why, why are we? Why do we still do this? Why is this happening? <laughs> well, it depends if uh, you're a Republican or a Democrat. What your answer would be to that? Well, I'm not right? allowed to answer that question, right? We're, I'm everything to everyone. What about both sides? Let's get both sides. You know, you're right. I mean, from the Democratic perspective, they would love to push this off. In fact, I mean, some say if they had their way, if they were able to get rid of the filibuster, had the reconciliation process back, they would. Um, extend, uh, you know, debt ceiling for forever, get rid of this congressional authorization of debt ceiling raising. Um, from the Republican perspective, you know, we have a $31.4 trillion debt, right? So we're, we're looking at um, austerity uh, arguments from the right for, uh, you know, it, for a while now. And I think that this will be used consistently as leverage um, going forward. Jody, I had read that if you take $31.4 trillion bills and stack mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. you would get you would get to the planet Uranus. <laughs> well, that's some trivia that you're not going to find <laughs> any, on any other podcast, right? 
So, Jen, let's talk about the, the calendar a little bit, right? I mean, I was personally was surprised when Janet Yellen came out and said June 1st was looking like the X date, right? I mean, I thought, you know, with incoming tax receipts, you know, the Treasury had extraordinary measures. I was under the impression that, you know, they could buy some time until the fall. So what's behind June 1st? And can we can we still extend that a little bit? Well, yes. And and she did give a caveat, right? When she said June 1st is the X date, um, she did hedge herself a bit, stating that it could be, you know, a, a few weeks, a few days from June 1st. So, you know, the, the, the real magic number would be June 15th, right? Because if they okay. could get to June 15th, the quarterly um, tax receipts, then you would, then you could extend it probably till the end of July. But it's just not clear. She's going to make another announcement next week. But we were originally saying September, October, November, right? Well, we always said it could be as early as June. Okay. Treasury did warn us. But so maybe most... I was saying September, October, <laughs> no, maybe, maybe that's why I was so surprised, Brian. I, I know where I got that from. I just make it up and sound confident. <laughs> you know, we, we saw sort of a you know, on the horizon from some of the analysts, I, whether it was Goldman or JP, I can't remember, but they were saying some of the tax receipts coming in after the after April, right, were looking like maybe cap gains were a little too low and that that could affect this X date. And it may have. What is an extraordinary measure? Uh, basically, once con once uh, the Treasury Secretary gets to a certain point, she has to extend into extraordinary measures. And because we spend a lot more than we bring in, uh, that usually is in the first quarter of the year, right, where we start to acknowledge the fact that, that tax receipts and, and payments aren't going to match up. Right. And so what does that mean? Like we're not going to invest money in government pension funds or are there things that we do that let us push this out a little bit? It, it, it's a little gimmickry. Yeah, yeah. In the way that Treasury accounts for things that allows okay. for without getting too technical, that allows for them to extend their budget. OK. And so what do the what do the Republicans want? I mean, I remember when I, I, I obviously use the word austerity and I remember in 2011 um, when we went to the brink. The, correct me if I'm wrong, the Obama administration ultimately conceded to, you know, two to three trillion dollars in spending cuts over a decade. Um, seemed like some pretty large numbers. Are we talking something similar here? Well, where the Republicans stand is on on their on the bill that they were able to pass last April. Right. Or last month, which was April. And now Democrats are coming to the table and coming up with a different negotiating position. Right. I mean, that's what we're seeing. But included in that original House bill was, I think uh, it was a cap on uh, to 2022 spending and it extended like one percent only a one percent increase in discretionary spending until 2033. So that's like a 10 year move, right? That's not going to be acceptable to the White House. So they're coming back, um, you know, reports are, they're coming back with a 2023 cap, but only for two years. I think they'll probably land somewhere in the middle, but closer to the White House's uh, position. But you're right, this is very similar to 2011. And that's what brought on the sequester. And that really comes out through the appropriations process, because it's a promise into appropriations, how they're going to spend the framework. 
sequester. That word takes me back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used to yeah, remind me of the sequester. What did well, that mean? Mm-hmm. It was a little bit of budget gimmickry, right? Because what ended up happening was a promise of decreased spending. And then the constituencies of, of federal government spending came in around the appropriations process, and they were able to kick some of that sequestration down and basically out of of actually happening through the appropriations process. So this is this is kind of the easy part, right? You're just setting a framework with these budget caps. Actually doing that comes later during the appropriations process. I have a really dumb question, Jody. Go for it. So 10 years ago, so a little bit more than 10 years ago. So this was Obama in 2011. They agreed to the spending cuts over a decade. And yet we just saw, you know, $6 trillion of spending in 2020 and 2022, right, for COVID. So most of that's within the 10-year period. So did we accomplish anything the last time we did this? Well, I mean, they they some of the sequestration happened, but a lot of it that was difficult to do didn't happen because there were, especially when it came to some like physician payments. And I, I mean, I was on the Hill at the time. I, I remember just uh, the, the healthcare community coming down and, and being really concerned with some of the cuts and how that would affect patients and hospitals, et cetera. Um, so some of it happened, some of it didn't. I think what you're looking at with the COVID payments was that was outside of the ordinary budget, right? So that emergency. was outside of the, it was emergency yeah. appropriation money. And so that, and a lot of that is still sitting at treasury. It's sitting in the coffers of the states, but a lot of it's still sitting at treasury. And that's why it's on the table for this negotiation. So looking at the math and the makeup of, Congress, you know, right now, how many Republicans would need to break party line to raise the debt ceiling? I mean, does this, what, what does that look like? What, what, what are the, you know, how does that shake out for um, getting this done? So McCarthy needs a majority of the majority, right? So he needs at least, you know, 120 members, somewhere around there mm-hmm. to vote for whatever he negotiates with the White House, right? So keep in mind this last meeting that was announced on um, Wednesday, or was it Tuesday when they met, they decided that it would just be McCarthy and his team, right? So Garrett Graves, who is McCarthy's you know, right-hand man, McCarthy's team and the, the Biden team, Right. So Steve Rochetti, who has been a longtime advisor and Shalanda Young, who is the OMB director, the Office of Management and Budget. And she used to be the staff director of appropriations. She's well liked. She's well respected on both sides of the aisle. So now with these brains in at the table and only them, because before it was too big, there were too many people at the table. They've really narrowed it down. And so they're negotiating right now and McCarthy is socializing it with a few folks and getting his top people, his top members of Congress together. They had a table session yesterday to get ready to socialize to a, to a larger segment of the conference. 
Jen, what I think um, in some ways Jody was getting at there is, you know, the the last time we did this in 2011, um, the Democrats had just gotten shellacked in the midterms. And and I purposely used the word shellac. That was Barack <laughs> Obama's word. Mm -hmm. That is that was not my personal word um, word. Now, this time there was an expectation of a red wave that didn't materialize to the extent that some expected it to. So. Can I take can I have any confidence in the fact that the, the Democrats had to figure out how to get 50 or 60 Republicans on board for this in 2011 versus today? They need to get five or six. Can that make me more hopeful or is that just being too Pollyanna? Yeah, I well, I think Democrats, you're going to have you mean in the House? Yeah. What would Hakeem Jeffries, who is the uh, minority leader, the uh, leader of the Democratic Party, um, he's going to have to bring a number of folks to the table, right? I mean, he's going to have to, for the voting, actually. Oh, so he's not, right? so it's going to be hard to get all of his because of the cuts that are being made. So if Biden plays hardball and they can get all of the Dems, are there five Republicans or no? Oh, no. You mean like in a discharge petition, sort of, because they have a discharge petition that they, that they Put out, but you don't have five or six Republicans who are going to undercut. They're not going to do it right now. Yeah. No, that's so even though, happen. so even though you needed fifty in twenty eleven, and today you need five or six, it, it still doesn't matter. Yeah. No. That's. I mean, it would be like voting for Hakeem Jeffries as speaker. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just not going to. You're never going to get those five. Yeah. It's I, it's the end of your political career if you do that. Yeah. What's going to happen is McCarthy and Biden are going to come to some sort of agreement. And then McCarthy has to go back and sell it to his people. His right, very right, are not going to vote for it. But can you can you shave off a few of them? Right. Can you get a few of those Freedom Caucus members and then and to give cover for for others who um, are going to get hit from their right? Right. That it's not enough. And then you have Jeffries, who is going to have to make sure that his moderates and his his establishment Democrats are voting for it as well, even though the progressives are going to rail against maybe some of the work requirements that might be included in it. Right. And so they they have to be concerned about each of their right and left flank. Yeah, I'm singing Schoolhouse Rock in my head right now. <laughs> Just a bill. Just a bill. So what about other methods um, of getting around this? You know, there's a lot of talk about the 14th Amendment, you know, the validity of the public debt shall not be questioned. Does that give cover to just forget about the debt ceiling? Yeah, it's a it would be a constitutional crisis. Right. And so you've seen more uh, Secretary Treasury Yellen uh, pretty much outright reject it. Now, I think there are others within the White House who may be a little more open mind to that or to like minting a trillion dollar coin or something. Right. But ultimately, that would go into the court system. It would be litigated and it could really be, you know, devastating as far as, you know, the process. Right. Right. Brian, the trillion dollar coin. I know that was kind of your your preferred method of fixing this, right? Yeah, I was very excited about that. We mint a coin <laughs> and we make it available to ourselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it doesn't sound like we're going to be minting that trillion dollar coin. <laughs> OK, so we Jen, we don't mint the coin, unfortunately. <laughs> um, what what would it look like if we breach it? I know, you know, Jody and I had joked up front about the one month T-bill. You know, people don't want to invest there um, because they don't know if they're going to be generating any income in that particular month. Is it is it just the thing if you want to, you know, you're going to get paid back at some point, you just may have lost 
income? I mean, what does it mean to default on this? Yeah, and, and what is a technical default and, and how can Treasury prioritize payments in order to pay the debt first? Right. And I think that's really the larger question. Can and we, we know do that shut down a national park and keep paying the debt or. Yeah, I don't think we're going to save too much there, but we could potentially. <laughs> don't you know, don't we... pay the prosecutors. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> think of like uh, uh, infrastructure, right? Infrastructure, or right. Uh, military infrastructure where 13 yeah, yeah. percent of our budget right. goes right i mean defense projects etc so Could it's not rangers delay... at the park right it's <laughs> <laughs> not really our money maker um that <laughs> that um that could happen some sort of prioritization right so you get the social security checks you get the veterans checks and you get the debt paid for and really think about it this way say june 1st is is the x date is the true x date you have like two weeks you really need to account for in, in the prioritization. Now, what would actually happen to like the credit rating of the United States if we get past the X date? Like that's a that's a much larger question, right? What do the what do the markets do? Technically, we know the New York Fed's been running tabletop exercises on this sort of thing happening for, you know, the last decade. So, you know, there there is a way to sort of buy time. At least it's been suggested in reports that there is a way to buy, buy time through prioritization. Yeah. And thus far, the markets have been pretty sanguine about this. At least it seems. It seems, right? It seems, right? We haven't had a big drawdown, little range bound on broader markets, S&P 500 type of thing, but but nothing extreme. Um, so the most likely outcome, Jen, you still believe that we get past this without significant incident? Right. I, I think we either go right up to the X date with, with some deal or maybe just go a little bit past it. And I think the framework of the deal is going to be budget caps of some sort. It's going to be COVID funding rescissions. It's going to be energy permitting reform and, and some degree of work requirements around TANF, definitely not Medicaid, possibly around food stamps, the SNAP program. Right. So Jen, while we have you here, let's talk about, um legislation? Are there any big topics that investors in particular need to be focused on? Well, again, going back to, to this legislation, this is probably one of the biggest sure. right, we're going to see happen. And then um, the next big move will have mm -hmm. to be appropriations. And now we can then we can get back on this podcast and talk about a potential government <laughs> shutdown. Um, <laughs> It, Wait, will, they, know, will the national parks be open? <laughs> now that actually might close the national parks. Okay. Um, but we're, so that, you know, you kind of give some some runway then to the appropriations process can really begin because they've had a hard time doing budget resolutions on either side of, of either chamber because this looming debt ceiling um, is, is so large and it's just sort of sucked all the oxygen out of the room and taken a lot of the folks who are needing to draft <laughs> on appropriations into into this this negotiation so jen given that this is the greater possibilities podcast and we give the public we give the people what they want <laughs> we're going to ask about 2024 i'm not even ready to start thinking or talking about 2024 but but the people want to know what you're thinking are we running it back again the, <laughs> the fans want to know are we running it back again is it is it biden v trump and who's going to win i mean right now Biden has said he's running and he is the president of the United States. And, you know, 
Bobby Kennedy Jr. is what running at 20%, although that is rather high. In some is he at polling. 20%? He's like 19, 20% wow. in some wow. polls. Talk about name recognition, huh? Well, look, I mean, President Biden obviously has some issues in his favorability. And that the fact that, you know, Kennedy is running against him. And I think Marianne Williamson yes. threw her hat back in the ring too, although I don't think she's pulling. Um, it, that's going to cause a bit of a headache for the Democrats, right? Because that's 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 a little too high in in the polling. And we'll see if that's adjusted as as we get closer to um to the general. But in the primary for Republicans, you have a lot of folks throwing in their ring. There are going to be a number of people around the Memorial um, Day period that are going to formalize their run, like Tim Scott's expected to announce, for example, on the 22nd on Monday in Charleston. Um, you know, he just launched his exploratory committee. Some of these guys have just launched exploratory committees and are now going to officially get in the race. But of those currently in the race, you know, you have Nikki Haley and Asa Hutchinson and DeSantis has not announced yet. Right. But he will. And, you know, it's it's going to be a very wide field. That is going to, you're going to start to see the, the debates then around the August, September period for Republicans. And that's really going to feel like the kickoff for, for the American people who aren't paying attention yet, quite yet. The big stage with a lot of podiums again. Right, exactly. And that probably favors the former president. Yeah, you know, I think the more uh, Republicans in the primary, the better for President former President Trump. Um, how many stay in, I think, is the larger question. And does it feel like a change election 2024 or too soon to say? Too soon to say. I think it's I think it, we have to allow the process to play out a little bit to see where these numbers start to um, start to fall. Right. And you had made an interesting point about uh where Hillary Clinton was polling in the 2008 primary before just to kind of put a finer point on how early it is. Yeah, that that young first term uh, junior Democratic senator. junior senator from <laughs> Illinois, Barack Obama, had the gall to go up against. <laughs> uh, yeah, Senator uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, and and she was pulling much higher than he was. And I think you know, that's why you have to take some of this and step back and 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 realize that we're going to have Americans really just aren't paying attention yet. All right. Well, what I'm getting the theme of this podcast is let the process run its course, whether it's the debt ceiling or elections. So, Brian, are you are you feeling any better than you were at the top of the show about that process? Yeah, I feel good. I'm a yes. I'm I'm one of those people who believes in the Churchill line. Ultimately, we we will do the right thing. We will get past this, um, and we'll be back to focusing on what's most important for investors, which is where are we with regards to monetary policy? Is a new cycle starting to play out? And and I'm looking forward to getting back to that focus. But I'm thrilled that we were able to have Jen here as we're dealing with these current challenges. Yes, thank you for joining us, and maybe. Hopefully we won't have to have you back to talk about a shutdown, but would love to talk about anything else that's going on. So thank you. Thanks. Bye, Jen. Thank you. You've been listening to Invesco's Greater Possibilities podcast. 
The opinions expressed are those of the speakers and are based on current market conditions as of May 18, 2023, and are subject to change without notice. These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. Invesco is not affiliated with any of the companies or individuals mentioned herein. This does not constitute a recommendation of any investment strategy or product for a particular investor. Investors should consult a financial professional before making any investment decisions. Should this contain any forward-looking statements, understand they are not guarantees of future results. They involve risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. There can be no assurance that actual results will not differ materially from expectations. All investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Number of debt ceiling increases from the U.S. Treasury as of December 31, 2022. Information about Treasury's rallying in 2011 is from Bloomberg. U.S. Treasuries rose 6.7% from July 2011 to September 2011. All data provided by Invesco unless otherwise noted. TEMF stands for Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. SNAP stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. The Greater Possibilities Podcast is brought to you by Invesco Distributors, Inc.